The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Hello, Healthy Steps fans. This is Dr. Fred Harvey. Today's show is a compilation of prior show's recordings. Thus, there are no call-ins today. Join us next week for another exciting, informative call-in show. Until then, have a healthy week. This is WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. So, um, yes, uh, again, we're back to talking with Dr. Fred and... Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of change is happening in our world today. It's just been uh, really, really interesting to watch how things unfold, and uh, it it takes time. A lot of a lot of frustration, I think, is happening on all kinds of areas right now because we want to see new things happening. We're we're poised for all kinds of new stuff, but you know we're we're clinging, clinging to old ideas, old ways of doing things. Um, you know, the economic system is a juggernaut. It is, uh, you know, like trying to move a oil tanker. It takes miles to make a turn and, and, uh, hours sometimes, you know, our global economy is going to take years to move. And it's frustrating because it's causing a lot of difficulty for a lot of people, the way many of these things work. And unfortunately, we have created a problem in the delivery of healthcare because for the last century, economics has ruled. A big portion of why we actually have the non-system of non-healthcare currently uh, extant in the world. Um, you know, it's a, a non-system, especially in America, in, in other countries, other first world countries, they have actually put a system together, um, a system of public health, which is really public illness care. There is some prevention, but, you know, in America, we have a, uh, because of the way our uh, um, government, our people, our system has looked at individuality, and freedom, we have no system. We have a open capitalistic marketplace for the consumption of illness care and other wellness goods. <clears throat> we have really applied the colonial um, approach, the colonialist approach of, you know, the white supremacy approach to the way healthcare is accessed and delivered because you have to have money to do it. And we've scratched together a bit of more coverage in this country by uh, succumbing to the powers of capitalism and creating a non-governmental system for people that weren't insured called the Unaffordable Unsustainable Care Act, or otherwise known as Obamacare. And that's basically a, you know, it's a fascist economic ploy to get people to put money through insurance companies where profit is extracted from the suffering. The system, not system, the system of extraction, not healthcare system, the system of extraction of this, the, the use of, of, um, of humans as commodities in a, a system where, where this profit is extracted is really a, a, a terrible, 
delivery model for healthcare. <clears throat> and it's really terrible for illness care too, because we keep chasing our tails on illness and creating more and more cost. Cost that is not able to be addressed because the powers that are making money actually control the way the system is dealt with. So, you know, when you have high powered specialties like cardiology and orthopedic surgery funding the lobbying, you end up getting more money going towards them than it does to go to what's called primary care. You know, primary care is supposed to be the bedrock of this quote system of healthcare. And it's really, uh, it's really not, unfortunately. And I, there's a great article in Time Mag called The Doctor Won't See You Now. And it addresses this problem. And people are just not happy with going to the doctor. And so we have issues where we wait and wait and wait to see the doctor. We fill out a mountain of paperwork, mostly insurance related. Wait in that scratchy paper gown to see the doctor after you waited three weeks to see the doctor. And then you wait 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 50 minutes in the office waiting in that. And then in quotes, you see, quotes the doctor, whose back is to you and the head is in the computer. 10 minutes later, you're back in the lobby with a lab order or referral to a specialist. You get your blood work. You get a bill for the labs. You call and wait for three weeks to review it. Your visit's four minutes and you get or you don't get a prescription. There's not much continued care there. It's really a strange problem that we don't get the satisfaction. 43% of Americans are unsatisfied with healthcare. 22% in the UK and 26% in Canada. Um, supposedly, the annual physical is a ritual that helps, but I think it just generates more revenue for the health company because you do early detection not primary prevention, and you do more tests that the company then bills for. You see a specialist that the company then bills for. You get a colonoscopy that the company then bills for. And then instead of getting actually primary prevention, you end up getting meds for prevention, which don't really prevent, they just alter the course of what's going on. And the argument for seeing the annual physician is that patients who regularly see a physician have less illness and live longer than those who don't. The argument is also that those who take a multivitamin live longer and have less health problems than those who don't. But here, here's the, the concept. This is not a clean study when you look at these people. People who regularly see a physician who regularly take a multivitamin are people who are conscious about their health. So people who are conscious about the health tend to be healthier because they take an interest in it and they do what's necessary, which is the key to any healthcare system is that the owner of the body needs to take responsibility for the body. And I think there's a lot of people that want to take responsibility for their body today. And we have callers on the line already. Indeed we do. We've got uh, one of our ever faithful friends, Greg, on the line. And we've got a long distance call of Rob from Minnesota. So let's go to Greg. He has a question about neuropathy. Good morning, Greg. I'm Gary. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, it's better, Gary. Hi, Gary. You know what? Hi, hi, guys. You know what? I was thinking. I was diagnosed with peripheral neuropathy, and um, I was wondering if there, if I could reverse it, and if I can, what they knew, what they need to do about it. Great question. Neuropathy, uh, that is damage to your nerves. Peripheral neuropathy is damage to the nerves in your hands and feet and, and, and distal uh, uh, areas, not in your brain. Although you can have neuropathy in the brain too. The approach that functional medicine uses for 
any problem like this is first to look for cause. So why do you have neuropathy? Causes of neuropathy include um, many types of toxicity and inflammation. So diabetes or sugar control problems can do it. Toxic exposures to metals like lead and mercury. Um, Toxic exposures to mold toxins from a mycotoxin or a mold event at a house. Um, And um, uh, infections um, can cause neuropathy. So first we need to actually do some exploration and find out why the neuropathy is there. And while we're doing that, we can do some things that help to regenerate nerves. There's some really good evidence that there are certain vitamins and minerals and uh, uh, antioxidants that help to rebuild nerves. One of the minerals is called lithium. Low-dose lithium available as a supplement actually in doses of 300 micrograms a day have been shown to do what's called nootropism. Nootropism is the growing of new nerves. And the uh, antioxidants, uh, one of the best that helps all nerves is alpha lipoic acid, otherwise known as thioctic acid also. And a dose of 600 milligrams two to three times a day has been shown to improve um, uh, peripheral neuropathy and reduce the sensation of burning in the feet, say from diabetes-related neuropathy. And B vitamins are well known to help with nerve regeneration also. Um, B12, methyl B12, otherwise known as methylcobalamin, very important to use. Methylfolate or methyl tetrahydromethylfolic acid for its full name, those are very potent. And another one, activated thiamine called benfotiamine are also shown to help regrow peripheral nerves to help reduce the sensation, but also increase the nervous function. And so these are all really good things to do. And then to regrow the sheath of the nerves to help the fat part, omega-3 fats, fish oil, very important, four grams a day. And Another is um, getting good coconut oil. Uh, Saturated fats help with the nerves too. And um, uh, so those are all things you can do to really support nerve growth. Oh, and phosphatidylcholine coming from liver and eggs. Also another good nerve food. How's that help you, Gary? Is that that was definitely a mouthful. Yes. So could exercise help? Well, exercise, as far as I know, hasn't been shown specifically to help here, but it can't hurt because every time you exercise, you increase your circulation and reduce inflammation. And those are two things you really want to do to improve your overall function. All right. Now, it's a pretty darn good show so far, you got to admit, but it is someplace between deja vu and a flashback. And that's because this is a pre-recorded show of some of the best of the Healthy Step show with Dr. Fred Harvey. And because it's a pre-recorded show, I regret that we won't be able to take any phone calls today. But, by golly, next week we'll welcome you back like the prodigal sons and daughters that we love here at WMNF Tampa. Now let's get back to the fun at hand. So I've just been looking at some news articles and news items and and thinking that we're watching the, the unraveling of the Western medical uh, establishment. It's it's really desperate and and grasping at straws to try and keep things together. The narrative that they want to control in a lot of different areas is is failing to actually bring forth the information that they want. And it's you know it's very difficult to prop up a narrative against 
the obvious. And I'm seeing these things that keep showing up that make me question what it is that my, I guess, former colleagues are thinking. When I when I look at um, a, a recent abstract, an abstract is a, um, a, a distilled down version of a more extensive article or report in medicine. Um, they abstract some information from it and give you the summary, basically. And um, in Circulation, the journal Circulation, which is one of the American Heart Association journals, uh, published at the end of January, they talk about atrial fibrillation and dementia. And there's a report from the uh, 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 an international collaboration of people that like to screen for both dementia and for atrial fibrillation, not necessarily concurrently, but they're figuring out that when you do look at it concurrently, there is a distinct and definite associative risk. People that have atrial fibrillation have a higher risk of dementia. That's not saying Alzheimer's, but you know, we, we dump most dementia into a bin called Alzheimer's. And uh, one brilliant doctor, um, um, Dale Bredesen wrote a book called End of Alzheimer's Reversing Cognitive Decline. And in that book, he, he lays out that there are several different ways to look at Alzheimer's and break it down into different uh, subcategories or subpathologies, like the basic Alzheimer's disease is related to the genetic misstep called APOE and go on from there. But there's a vascular dementia, a vascular component. And that's where the atrial fibrillation comes in because atrial fibrillation results in um, things like cerebral microinfarction. That's a big one, right? So a brain tiny stroke little tiny clots flip off from the atrial fibrillation heart and end up in the brain and they cause damage. And over time you get small hemorrhages or bleeds, um, inflammation, and you get atrophy. But concurrent with this, anybody who has atrial fibrillation is probably in a, in a group where they likely have systemic atherosclerotic vascular disease, meaning that they have hardening of the arteries. And that's one thing that I see quite often in dementia patients is that we have hardening of the arteries in the small blood vessels in the brain, and that is vascular dementia. One of the best treatments for that is chelation therapy, but cardiologists and neurologists won't talk about it. And statins may help to reduce the uh, plaque, to reduce the cholesterol, and that is a thing that does reduce microvascular disease. However, what we know is that when we use pills to cover ills, we end up with adverse consequences. And here's the thought on statins. Um, five years on a statin, it's been shown that you're likely, 50% more likely to have diabetes. Now, why would that be? Do you think statins as an anti-inflammatory drug are actually really causing more diabetes? Frankly, I don't. And we haven't had causative data that shows that this is what's happening. What seems to be clinically the case to me is that Western medicine doesn't coach people to do the right thing. Western medicine throws pills at people who have bad behavior and bad lifestyle. And so when you take somebody who eats a diabetogenic diet or a diabetogenic diet, in other words, some, a diet that makes people fat and diabetes prone, you're going to get hardening of the arteries. And then if you put a pill on board to cover up the symptom called high cholesterol symptom, it's not a disease. It's a symptom of bad attitude, bad diet, bad behavior, no exercise. And so if we cover up these bad ideas with a pill, we're going to end up with a secondary complication, diabetes.
And so the same thing is happening here. Atrial fibrillation is not a, a disease in and of itself that just shows up out of the blue for 99% of people. Atrial fibrillation has several very specific causes. Um, we know that sleep apnea is a huge cause of atrial fibrillation. We know that excess alcohol use is a huge cause of atrial fibrillation. Those are the two principal causes. And so we also know that chronic alcohol use in doses enough to cause atrial fibrillation also cause brain deterioration because it erases your brain cells. There's something called Korsakov's dementia, which is alcohol-related dementia because your brain atrophies. And so we have this situation where um, we talk about things in Western medicine and label them, but we're not really talking about what the real issue is. And so, you know, Bob comes into the doctor and has atrial fibrillation, and the doctor says, here's your atrial fibrillation medication so you don't have atrial fibrillation. And here's your blood thinner so that you don't get a stroke from the atrial fibrillation. But did the doctor actually, most cases, look for sleep apnea or do an alcohol intake history to find out if the person's actually doing too much? Because more than an ounce a day is enough to actually induce it in somebody who's sensitive, especially if they have sleep apnea, and alcohol will make the sleep apnea worse. So we're associating atrial fibrillation with dementia, but treating atrial fibrillation isn't necessarily going to actually treat the dementia. We need to actually treat the cause. And so I see this happening on a regular basis across the board. We, we just don't get these kinds of um, um, good information out about our uh, medical reality. <clears throat> and that makes it a little difficult for people to uh, really, uh, especially clinicians, clinicians in the front line, primary care doctors, primary care doctors who are actually becoming now at more and more shortage because the field doesn't remunerate them enough and puts all the stress and all the burden on the primary care doctor to be responsible for all these parameters that the subspecialists don't want to deal with. And so it's it's really skewed the way healthcare is delivered. It's skewed the way people think about healthcare. And in the system where doctors have become commodities in their own um, medical industrial machine, they don't have time to actually sit and talk with a patient and figure out what actually is going on to get the result that we need as far as health targets are concerned. There's there's delusion happening all over the way medicine works today. And I'm not talking just about uh, on our less than adequate clinical assessments and approaches to treatment, but um, funding and, and payment. Um, there, there's a really interesting thing, you know, since insurance companies have turned this into a, uh, a, um, a profit industry um, in a totally different way, they've come up with all kinds of interesting ways to restrict the pay of a doctor. And doctors have figured all kinds of interesting ways to scam, essentially scam the, uh, um, the system to get more money out of it. It doesn't take into account the fact that there's actually a client, a patient in the system that actually is being used as a tradable commodity here as well. And so I was just reading this article from the News and Observer, um, Raleigh, North Carolina newspaper. Um, um, people ask me where I get my news sources everywhere. I may look at 3,000 different sources because I'm constantly scanning for interesting information. And so, yeah, I won't, I won't stick to, um, you know, major news sources. Um, uh, cause I know most of them are a bit polluted by the people who own them and their, their directed storylines. But 
um, there are still some good local news reporting that you can find. And, and so this report was about how health care didn't change and the office hasn't moved. This is the title of it. The healthcare didn't change. The office hasn't moved. But why is University of North Carolina now, now charging more? Well, so the story is that the UNC had three dermatology clinics. And they were outpatient dermatology clinics. And now the, the, the hospital system has decided, well, we are going to um, scam some clients now and scam the insurance industry. So they found out that, and, and Sarasota Memorial does this too. They create hospital-based clinics. And I found this in my uh, uh, review of billing. Like well, I have an option for doing, quote, say, facilities charge for when I do a visit. I'm not using that type of billing anymore, but looking in, in my um, um, uh, EHR, I can see that there's an option for doing a facilities charge. And, and I, was, I, I understood about it, but now I'm seeing how this revenue generating gimmick is what a health policy expert calls this. And I totally agree. What they do is they change the like ownership of these clinics to make them hospital based. And that allows them to charge an extra 50, 75, some kind of dollars on top of the visit just so they can cash in a bit more. It squeezes more dollars out of the patients and the payers and sends it right into the healthcare system. It's really skeezy business. It's so, so, so sketchy. And I think that anybody who's actually seeing a physician at a it's that's part of a hospital group should ask if they're getting a facilities fee. That's just an extra fee because the hospital owns the practice. It's quotes and it's like an administrative fee. So it's a way of them just making more profit off of you. I think that's really foul. But um, I guess we've lit up the lines now. So let's have some talk. Uh, yes, we've got um, Doug in Tampa. who's got a question for us. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for the call. Allow me to call in the knowledge that you put out for the community. I'm a 66-year-old male that's non-smoker, non-alcohol drinker, and I've been recently diagnosed last year with neuropathy. And the doctor, which I didn't see a doctor, I saw a PAC, and they said, uh, take gabapentin. Well, I took gabapentin, and I have now uh, an extreme amount of leg weight, and I'm having tremendous amount of um, leg pressure and knee pressure, and I was wondering uh, if there's anything over the counter I can take for inflammation. I regularly do exercise, but it just feels like I'm so, so let me ad- let me address let me address the problem in the room. The problem in the room is the physician's assistant and the Western medical system. Gabapentin doesn't treat neuropathy. I'll say it again. Gabapentin doesn't and has never and will never treat neuropathy. Gabapentin dulls your brain so you don't notice that you have neuropathy. That's its purpose. That's its only purpose other than controlling seizures. So when a doctor offers you gabapentin for a problem that is killing you, you might ask. Can we do something about the problem rather than making me hide the problem and think that I'm not dying? And so the approach here for a neuropathy is to find out why you've got it. What toxin is bothering you? Do you have Lyme disease? Do you have mycotoxins? Do you have toxic metals or do you have petrochemical toxins? What's going wrong? And then what are you missing? Are you missing B12? Are you missing folic acid? Um, There are... Uh, issues that you can address in different ways, but you need a doctor who's actually willing to actually do the workup and find out why you have neuropathy, not just treat your symptoms and forget about you. Interesting. Yes, I have uh, 
uh, stopped going to that particular doctor because I heard some feedback that that uh, the gabapentin is not really guilty. But I find myself to be using that as a candy to maybe mask that. But I have been that's, going that's to what it's doing. Ac- it's, acupuncturist, and uh, they're pretty decent. But uh, uh, my blood work came back uh, a little bit high on calcium and real low on vitamin B12. So I go once a week for an injection, and she gives me them in each knee and in the thigh, and it seems to help temporarily, but then a week or two later, I'll be back to normal, and maybe sometimes I won't have no pain for a week or two. Well, B12 is going to take months to work and help you rebuild the nerves, so you just keep getting B12. You are low in B12. That's definitely an important thing, Um, but I would actually go to the website ifm.org or instituteforfunctionalmedicine.org and find a doctor who does functional medicine near you and actually get a real assessment from somebody who actually can help shift the course of your ship. The acupuncturist is helping. They do healthcare. Um, you need to find somebody who does healthcare, not the PA who did illness care for you. Okay, so you IFM. Any, do you have any, any uh, place in Tampa that you would recommend? I know I can't hold you accountable for it, but if, uh, right. You know, so the way I recommend the way I recommend it is you go on to ifm.org and you look up the doctor because I don't make recommendations. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Respect that. Okay, well, thank All right. you for the, for the uh, candidacy. And you guys keep up, and I enjoy listening to you guys because I get educated each time I hear you. Thank you so much. Wonderful, Doug. Pop something in the tip jar for the station, if you would. Hello, all you loyal fans of Dr. Fred Harvey. This spectacular Monday morning, you are listening to a special rebroadcast of some of the clips composing the best of Healthy Step Show. And as the nature of pre-recording shows go, there will be no one answering the phones today. So write your questions on the back of a $20 bill and mail it to WMNF Tampa, and we'll answer it next week. Hello, fans of Healthy Steps Radio Show and other health-conscious listeners of WMNF. This is Dr. Fred Harvey. And I'd like to invite you to join me on my first Zoom webinar to explore functional medicine. What is functional medicine? How it works? Why we need it as individuals and as a society? Join me on June 15th at 11 a.m. Sign up on the WMNF website. Good morning, Derek. Yes, hello? Hi there, Derek. Yes, good morning. Uh, good day. What have you got for us today? The, well, Dr. Javier, what you mentioned just at the end of it, um, elation therapy. Yes. Um, and you were speaking about statins and the ineffectiveness of statins and so on. And I want to find out more about elation therapy and how effective it is uh, in, in helping to bring your arteries out and so on. Yes. So um, actually, statins are highly effective. Um, Statins are pharmaceutical therapy, and many people don't want to use them, but they are highly effective. I've used them regularly, and they are one of the best things you can do if you've had a heart attack to prevent the next heart attack. No matter what you read online, they are highly effective tools, and they have very low adverse consequences, which we know about, and we can monitor for, and we can stop. So I still use statins because they're effective tools, and I try to use all the tools that we have. Chelation therapy is also a pharmaceutical, and people do have these um, um, questions about pharmaceuticals. But, uh, in fact, cardiologists had a lot of questions about this pharmaceutical, and they poo-pooed it for years. And there was a cardiologist at the University of Miami, um, Hervasio uh, Lamas, and um, Tony Lamas uh, uh, did the first study called Trial to Assess Chelation Therapy, T-A-C-T. It was published in 2013 in the Journal of the Medical 
the American Medical Association. It looked at about okay. 1,800 people who had heart attacks. And yeah. the therapy was done for um, one year, 40 treatments in one year. At five years out, they were assessing all of the outcomes. So if somebody's had a heart attack and they've gotten a year's worth of chelation therapy, five years out, they have a 20% reduced risk of dying of all causes, a 20% reduced risk of going to bypass surgery, a 20% reduced risk of having another heart attack. If that person who had the heart attack also had diabetes, they had a 50% reduction in all those things. Better than any statin drug can provide. It cleans out the arteries very nicely and it gives you a rejuvenative therapy that is unlike any other therapy we have available for cardiovascular disease. I see. So let me suppose that you did not have a heart attack because I didn't have one of those. I caught uh, my cardiologist caught a small blockage in one of the arteries in my heart. Uh, yes. Before it got to that stage. Um, but I just want to take care of it instead of putting a stent in or something like that. Right. Well, stents um, are only effective um, as far as cost is concerned, as far as complications are concerned, in one situation, and that is when somebody's having an active heart attack. Using stents to cover... Um, the symptoms of cardiovascular disease on an ongoing basis is more costly, has more complications, and doesn't really work as, as well as um, using medical therapy, regular angina therapy, and statins, etc. And so um, um, cardiologists know this. There have been at least three studies that have said that stents are less um, a choice than medical therapy, but cardiologists still do it because um, People have been marketed on it, sold on it, and they want it. And the cardiologist makes a heck of a lot more money than writing a prescription. And so we have a skewed um, specialty bias towards stenting when their own literature tells them it shouldn't be done. Okay, well, then my cardiologist is on the right track because he didn't recommend the stent right away, but he, um, he put me a statin. So you think I should use the statin and get... I think if you have a... Yeah, if you have a cardiac lesion, you should be on something, a, a regimen that gets your LDL cholesterol down to 80. If you can't do it with diet, exercise, and other lifestyle change, then you probably need a drug. Well, that's what I'm doing now, diet, exercise, and, you know, but I never smoked or drank alcohol much, so yeah. I'm now increased my exercise, I'm now on a... Uh, that we have eliminated animal products for the time being and see what effect it will have and so on. Good. Um, I think you're on the right ta- track. Chelation is still an option for you at some point, though. It, it rejuvenates all of the arteries, and it does give you an advantage. Okay. Well, I'll see what I can find a chelation therapist somewhere in St. Petersburg or Tampa. Thank you so much, Dr. Harvey. I listen to you every week. I love your program. Thank you. Glad to be here for you. Drop one in the tip jar for the station. Will do. Thank you. Yes, Celeste on the phone with a question about pain relievers. Good morning, Celeste. Yes, I have constant pain because I have different issues, and I have to use a leave quite frequently. I was wondering, could you recommend some uh, better pain relief medication? So I'm having trouble hearing, but I think I heard that you have pain and you, you use a leave quite often. Is that correct? Yes, and I wanted to know if you have some alternative things that would be better for me to use. Yeah, she's wondering if you have alternative things that might be better than the Aleve. Um, why, why is she taking a leave? 
Well, I have severe stenosis. I have um, in my lumbar region. I have osteoarthritis in my shoulder, and I have um, arthritis in my neck. So that something is bothering me constantly. Okay, so um, sounds like degenerative arthritis disease, um, uh, low back pain, spinal stenosis, um, and and other areas. Uh, so. Yeah, Aleve works. It is a uh, a pain reliever. You might get help from using some of the natural arthritis uh, or anti-inflammatory remedies like curcumin, turmeric extract, um, boswellia, uh, or boswellic acid. It comes from um, um, frankincense, um, siloxin, um, or uh, uh, salicylic acid, not acetylsalicylic acid, which is aspirin, but salicylic acid, willow bark extract also has effect. Combination of those three is very useful. Um, you also might try topical capsaicin cream on areas that are uh, problematic. And um, the uh, 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 movement is uh, really, really important. Um, so doing uh, regular exercise, uh, low impact when you have arthritis and uh, um, looking at physical therapy for that low back because spinal stenosis is a, a, a problem that um, can respond to some uh, supportive muscle work, but um, spinal stenosis is one of the conditions that actually does respond fairly well to surgery when it is severe enough to require it. Uh, yeah, I, I do all the exercise and, and, and do all of that. I, I, is a leave dangerous to continue taking it like several times a week? Would you, is that okay? Because that is very, very helpful for me. Um, well, anything we take has risk and benefit. And as far as a leave goes, the federal government has decided that a leave is such low risk that they've allowed it to be over the counter. Um, it was prescription um, when it first came out, naproxen sodium. And... Um, I uh, I used it as a prescription, and and I I think that it's actually fairly safe as these things go. Um, and a couple times a week would uh, actually reduce your uh, uh, toxic burden by not doing it every day. Yeah, and, and now so, that I'm sorry, go ahead. I, yeah, I think that that yeah, you're 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 on the right track there. Um, now let me ask you something. You recommended curcumin and boswellia and uh, salicylic acid. Is there like a a, a a pill combination that I can take that? Do you know of one? A capsule or something that, that those three yeah, are? there are several on the market. Um, you, you can, uh, 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 I, I have uh, several from different companies, um, uh, Designs for Health, Zymogen, uh, they, they, they make them. There are lots on the market, but um, what you want is one that's got um, a, a standardized curcuminoid, um, like 95% curcuminoids in the uh, uh, curcumin extract. Um, the uh, 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 boswellic acid, um, uh, I don't think it has a, 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 a specific, um, uh, uh, any other branded uh, uh, um, form of it, but yes, um, it'll, it'll show up in, in combinations. Uh, so will salicylic acid. Uh, willow bark extract is often how that's talked about. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okie dokie, and we're going to go to Brian, who's been waiting patiently in Bradenton for us. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Can Hi, you Brian. Hear me all right? I can hear you. Oh, great, great. Uh, thanks for taking my call. So my question okay. is about cholesterol and just wondering if the science is starting to shift. Um, my LDL has always been a little bit out of range, like in the 130, 140 range, and... Um, Total cholesterol is over 200, like uh, average between 210 to 230, 240. 
and I've avoided taking statin drugs. I just really don't want to go there. Um, and I've been reading lately about it's the lack of vitamin K2 that sometimes I think causes our liver to process cholesterol in a different way. And by like eliminating egg, egg yolks, that's actually a negative side effect. Um, can you speak to that, uh, what your latest research is? Um, so cholesterol is, from my perspective, a symptom of vascular inflammation. It goes up when you're damaging the uh, blood vessels. And the um, nature of uh, uh, the inflammation, it, it, it's, it's so, so many different things could be involved here. And one of the more um, interesting, uh, um, it's been in the literature, but it's not really been really looked at by doctors very much because we've basically consigned it to thinking about gout, but it's much more important than that. Uric acid, your uric acid levels are important. If your uric acid level is over six or even over 5.5, you want to consider that your diet is actually pushing on the cholesterol and it probably is as is with the numbers you're talking about. And um, so things that actually drive the uh uric acid elevation, which is also going to help to raise uh, the cholesterol is um, fructose, fruit sugar. Um, so doing fruit juices and things like that are not good. Um, the um, uh, nature of uric acid is that when it's elevated, it irritates the blood vessel and then you respond by actually spackling with cholesterol. And um, so I would get the uric acid level checked. I would, I would look at the diet and look more towards doing a uh, modified Mediterranean with eight servings of vegetables a day, uh, hard, uh, you know, raw and cooked, um, uh, two servings of uh, berries or apples, um, uh, a good 10 ounces of um, lean protein, some beans, some olives, um, uh, maybe a, a serving or two of grain. And and that is going to really affect the cholesterol in a great way and help to uh, minimize any kind of impact from that. And then another thing to look at is to go deep into your cholesterol and look at um, uh, Quest has an advanced lipid test that breaks the cholesterol down into particles and gives you an idea of um, how damaging your current lipid profile is. Because just looking at the basic uh, uh, cholesterol triglycerides, LDL, HDL, that's not enough anymore. We have so much more information to look at. So, um, yeah, I think uh, you can still avoid the statins, but you need to uh, really look at what's going in and how you can adjust that. Something as simple as fiber, uh, one fiber capsule before every meal may completely alter the way you deal with cholesterol. Awesome. That's very interesting. Um, Yeah, a couple of things I hadn't considered in there. Calcium score. Do you put much weight on that? Yeah, actually, a calcium score is going to tell you how much actual, um, um, you know, old, uh, inflamed, damaged arteries are in your heart. Calcium plaque happens when you have damage that sits around for a while. And the inflamed cholesterol plaques basically turn to soap and get calcified. And so you get these calcific things in there that, that show that you've had prior inflammation. It may not be inflamed now. We don't know. So they're, they're, they're a good guide, but they don't tell us whether or not you're having active problems. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm coming up on 60 years old and I'm actually in really good health. And that's the only number I've got that's of concern is my cholesterol. 
Um, I've kind of avoided the calcium score just because of the radiation, but I think I need to uh, just put that aside and, uh, and see what's really going on in there. Yeah, you could do that. You could you could do um, a uh, uh, a um, a stress test and just see how the function is. Yeah, and that's come back very positive. Um, oh, then I don't know if I if you have an if you have a normal stress test, I would I don't know if I'd worry about doing a coronary coronary calcium score. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean your your function is good. Who cares what the anatomy looks like? <laughs> Honestly, okay. just get your cholesterol down. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, and I, I really appreciate what you, what you do on the show and uh, help a lot of people. You're very welcome. Glad to help. Great day. Bye-bye. Yes, my jolly flock of aficionados, if these snippets of the show should sound familiar, you are right. You are listening to some of the greatest questions and answers from the Healthy Step Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Because this special presentation is pre-recorded, I sincerely regret that we won't be able to take any phone calls today. But stay with us, because this rebroadcast has some listening treats so rare you'll want to keep them in the museum of your heart in a parlor you love to visit called WMNF Tampa. Let's go to um, Eva. She has a uh, cancer treatments question. Good morning, Eva. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, hi, Eva. Hi, um, a few weeks ago, I heard you give some recommendations to a person who was concerned about some, you know, fairly routine squamous cell skin cancer, um, yeah. you know, uh, after treatment. She had had some full surgery and, you know, you did a great job of, you know, kind of a late, you know, right. great worries and all. And you gave some good recommendations about including tea extract and, um, a few other things that I, I knew of, heard of, but my brother, who's under 60, has a stage 3.5, possibly 4, laryngeal tumor that he has resisted having surgically removed. He's, he's been diagnosed a year, closer to two years. He's been around a very caustic of radiation and chemotherapy. Now, he seems to be holding on Keytruda uh, treatment. And I realize this is very specialized, you know, uh, you may more information, whatever. Um, yes. But he, uh, you know, he went through a terrible bout of pneumonia and almost died. A big regular size man, you know, 5'10", went down to 95 pounds. You know, his oxygen levels went way down. I was with a pretty diet in my car on the way to the hospital. You know. But he got through all of that, and he's strong and very mindful of willing himself to live, you know, mm-hmm. doing his best each day. And yes. I've really learned a lot about watching, you know, what someone with cancer has to go through. But yes. where and whom or how can we get some very good recommendations like I feel would be appropriate, like the one she gave the lady today. What the heck can we take to do drink that might uh Yes. So um, you're you're dealing with a, a very different thing from a, a superficial squamous cell that's not metastasized. So when you get to stage three, four, um, you're looking at a very aggressive tumor. And the thing is, squamous cell is the tumor that does respond to that medication, Keytruda. Um, the caution with Keytruda is anybody who's had an autoimmune disease is it's contraindicated in. I've already had one uh, very special person very close to me who chose to use Keytruda, um, but she 
really didn't want to admit that she had a prior colitis problem and actually Keytruda induced the colitis which um, caused um, a significant deterioration. So if there's any kind of prior autoimmune problem, I would avoid that. But for somebody who's already gone through radiation and chemotherapy, and if they've not been to a functional medicine doctor for rebuilding, then the first thing to do is actually help rebuild the system because the system naturally wants to help control these things like cancer. So functional medicine helps you transform the body the mind, the spirit helps you move from one frequency, low frequency that provides a, an opportunity and a and a rich, fertile ground in which cancer can proliferate and change that frequency so that the cancer is not actually welcome in that territory. And that takes a lot of work, but it can be highly effective with intravenous treatments to help build up the nutrition inside because sometimes it's extremely hard for someone with cancer to eat properly and absorb it, especially with something like a throat cancer. Mm -hmm. I believe so. you. I've lived and worked on organic farms decades. <clears throat> I, um, you know, uh, was exposed at a very early age to some natural healing therapies along the lines of natural hygiene and Herbert Shelton and, and all those folks, you know, who really believe in any clean diet or complete body-mind balance. So, you know, I know this isn't exactly that, you know, but uh, people overlook their capacity sometimes to improve or heal or do well. I think we, we get caught up in the modern thing and I'll take this drug and do this and cut it out of you and this will work fine and everything. And and he has defied, I mean, you know, expectations as far as doing that. I think he's gone into a real deep place to, to work on himself. Yeah, it sounds like he really has an internal will to live. It sounds like he really wants to do this. So I would find him a local functional medicine doctor near where you live and and get a good consult and 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 really start a rebuilding process because that's you need rebuilding, especially if he's considering doing another chemo. Right. Well, if I if I contact you, could you help me identify practitioners in the Tampa Brooksville area to, so that he could work on this? The most effective way to do it would be ifmifredmary.org, Institute okay. for Functional Medicine.org, okay. has a physician finder, practitioner finder. So you can get a lot of data there. And um, you can also um, um, uh, actually just Google locally functional medicine and you'll find it there too. Okay. Well, I really appreciate it. I hope it helps many people. To, to I believe it will. Uh, link, uh, to find people who know what they're doing to advise us. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Good luck. And I hope he does well. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Yes, my jolly flock of aficionados, if these snippets of the show should sound familiar, you are right. You are listening to some of the greatest questions and answers from the Healthy Step Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Because this special presentation is pre-recorded, I sincerely regret that we won't be able to take any phone calls today. But stay with us, because this rebroadcast has some listening treats so rare you'll want to keep them in the museum of your heart in a parlor you love to visit called WMNF Tampa. All right, and... Got Christina from St. Pete. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Dr. Harvey. Hi there. For taking my call. I've called in a couple times before. You might remember me. 
So I'm calling about my mom. <clears throat> I called during uh, one of the shows when you did the laser therapy, but I'm not sure if that really applied so much to my mom. So I wanted to get the skinny on her psoriatic arthritis. And just to give you just a, a, a quick snippet of back history, she was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis about, I would say, a little less than a year ago. Her doctor put her on methotrexate, which they say is the only thing really for uh, psoriatic arthritis unless they do a biologic. And for whatever reason, my mother is terrified of going on a biologic. <clears throat> I'm not sure why. I don't know too much about this. Uh, additionally, she has a thyroid condition since she was 13 and suffers. Okay, so that, that really helps right there. The thyroid condition and another autoimmune condition. Um the first thing to do would be go gluten-free and dairy-free and egg-free and bean-free. Do a Walls, W-A-H-L-S apostrophe diet. Terry Walls has a great, great diet you can look at um, online. And that is the first thing I would do with anybody who has psoriatic arthritis and a, uh, a thyroid problem, which is probably Hashimoto's thyroiditis, because um, you don't get other things that young. And uh, also, I would look at the microbiome and toxic metals. One of my um, uh, older patients, uh, um, back in, in the early 2000s, I, I was able to help a guy with psoriasis um, uh, by getting the mercury out of his body. There's many things that cause the immune disruption that will result in psoriasis, including uh, your microbiome. Uh, Klebsiella and Proteus will, are two bacteria that will trigger uh, uh, psoriasis, psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. So it'd be very worth it to have a, an evaluation for your mom. Great. So you said gluten-free diet, dairy-free diet, and what was the third thing? That Egg and bean, the, the Walls diet. Just look up the W-A-H-L-S diet, and you'll get that very... Um, and there's several iterations of it. It gets more and more s severe and strict as you go further in. And it's not like it's a forever diet. It's more of like... Yes, it is. This is a lifestyle change. This is the way you live the rest of your life. It's not something you can hopefully have it go away and then go back to eating the bad food that caused the problem in the first place. Wow. Okay. And then the microbiome and the toxic metals, is there a name for those tests she would need to have ordered? Um. Uh, well, they, they have lots of different names from different companies, but if you ask for a microbiome test and a toxic metal test and your doctor can't do it, you need to go to ifm.org and actually see if you can find a practitioner close to you. Great. Will do. Um, and that methotrexate, uh, the doctor says that's why she keeps getting sick with colds every month because the methotrexate is kind of sort of tearing down her immune system. What are your thoughts yeah, that's, on that? It suppresses the immune system. That is its specific purpose. That is why you take it. <laughs> so yes, you do have the adverse consequence of getting more sick. So she needs to be on some type of supplementation program in order to, to, to feed the good bacteria and build up her immune system because of the methotrexate? She yeah. needs to see a functional medicine doctor and get off the methotrexate. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So if she does these things, she might be able to bypass the methotrexate. Exactly. I don't have anybody in my practice on methotrexate. And they have psoriatic. Okay. I haven't written a prescription for that since 1999. Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Harvey. I do appreciate you and your show. Very welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. All righty. Well, we've got Sarah on the line and just about f just five more minutes left in the show. And I know you've got a buku emails as well. So let's get Sarah going. Good morning, okay. Sarah. Yeah. Hi. Um, my question is about Manuka honey. 
I have yeah. some that I bought locally that says it's 10 plus MGOs, methyl glyoxyl units. I bought mm-hmm. some in New Zealand that's 100 plus and it goes all the way up to 400 plus. So I wonder, is there a value in that number and what does it do for you? So there probably is a value in that number is why they're listing it. It might be marketing. <laughs> That's a value. It could be actual medical benefit. Honestly, I don't know enough about Manuka honey to tell you whether or not it's going to do anything for you. I just know that honey itself has some great biologic properties and used in moderation. It can be useful for everybody. Okay, thank you. I've heard to take it when you're sick, so I don't know. If that's- yeah, no, I've heard the wives' tales too. I just don't know if any research, and I've not really actually applied it myself in practice. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Robert and Brandon, what holistic integrated protocols do you recommend for AFib patients? Well, the first thing is find out if you have sleep apnea because it's one of the principal causes. The second cause, uh, or the other principal cause, I should say, is alcohol. So if you're using alcohol, stop it. And if you uh, have not been checked for sleep apnea, get checked. Um, this one is for Duran. Um, let's see, Alzheimer's with paranoia. Now that's a problem. Um, you know, people with dementia don't do well with the atypical uh, antipsychotic medicines that work on paranoia. They can cause some significant problems. So actually uh, I have watched people calm down very significantly with lavender oil, putting a lavender oil infuser in the room or putting a little cotton pledget, uh, uh, you know, uh, taped to their lapel or whatever with some um, lavender oil on it may just take the edge off. But then you have to actually really look at all the other medications that are going on into the body and uh, are they necessary? Things that may help with memory may make more agitated. Things like um, uh, the Alzheimer, the regular uh, Alzheimer's medications, um, Exelon and such. Um, so you, you may want to not go there. David asks about Ozempic. Um, you being used by bodybuilders as a weight loss and a cutting drug. Um, and 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 the question is: Is it safe for this purpose? Look, it's not safe for any kind of stupid purpose. Bottom line, if you want to. Uh, abuse your body you can abuse your body big boys should be able to play with big boys toys but it's just like it's weird (laughs) bottom line i wouldn't be using ozempic to get cut so i can show off my non-fat physique it's like weird what's the purpose um so um uh, a good question here. Can Lyme be mistaken for ALS? Yes, of course it can. Um, in fact, ALS can be mistaken um, as, as Lyme probably. But bottom line is um, neurodegenerative diseases uh, are definitely a Lyme-associated problem. And so we definitely have to pay attention to that. Um, Dave asks, um, are there uh, any supplements to help with diabetic neuropathy? Yeah, I've talked about this numerous times. Great stuff out there. Alpha lipoic acid, 600 milligrams twice a day. Uh, methylcobalamin, methylfolic acid, benfotiamine. These are great ways to deal with it. So- you have been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming on up is five minutes of NPR news and then get ready for the Sustainable Living Show hosted by the Cracker Jack team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. So until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WNF Tampa.